afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Lifestyle with Dr. Movi. And today we are honored with great guest. Let's welcome Deborah Riggs. How Hi, everybody. Doing? Hi. That was a great intro. I was like, yeah. well, all right. I like that. Yeah. Let yeah. me yeah, all. We, we get people in the mood, yeah. <laughs> so, so we can have great conversation. You know, I yeah, I love music. So I was like, dance party, let's go. <laughs> dance party. Now, um, tell us about yourself, Deborah, to audience. I tell, know a lot. Well, we, we, how long do we have? <laughs> We have uh, yeah, as much as you want, and but we yeah. have uh, you know a uh, good thirty minutes. I've got a I've got a lot of history here, you know. This, I, this, I know this lady has a lot of history. I've worn many hats, so you know I'm here in LA. It's a really beautiful day in LA. This is where I'm born and raised, mm-hmm. and I've lived other places, but this is what I call home. So I'm here in LA. Um, what would you exactly like to know? Because I have, okay. you know, I've worn many hats. I, you know, from being a figure skater as a young child, uh, dreaming of going to the Olympics as a figure skater, to getting into modeling and acting and and ending up on the cover of Playboy, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. no, no, I did not know you were figure skating. And I, uh, the part I knew is that you were, um, you know, at, in the Playboy magazine and Playmate for 1990, right? Yeah, 1990. I mm-hmm. the, the issue that I uh, was the centerfold was March, 1990. And it is now a collector's item because Donald Trump is on the cover. And so thank you, Mr. President, because now I get more fan mail than ever before because everybody wants wants it signed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, yes. See, you, yeah. you never know, right? Never. <laughs> well, lucky me, you know, I was lucky in the right you. place at the right time. So tell me, uh, you know, we're going to start maybe with uh, figure skating. So uh, at that time, you know, what were your thoughts? Uh, did you ever think that you will do what you're doing right now? Oh, no. You know, I, I, I really believed as a child that I was an athlete. You know, I was going to be an athlete somehow performing in some way, whether it was ice skating, dance. Um, you know, that was that was my first love. And. You know, I loved getting attention as a kid because I wasn't getting that much. You know, I wasn't getting a lot of positive attention. So I would do any, I was just starved for attention. And so when I started ice skating and I got good really quick, I started getting that positive feedback and positive attention. And it it motivated me to keep going. And fortunately, when my parents decided to divorce when I was 14, that came to an end and it was really it was really like a death for me because it was my whole life i got up at 4 a.m i skated before school and after school i skated every saturday morning and then i would go to downtown los angeles and take ballet at uh, the duray ballet studio and jump classes in ballet on top of skating so it was my whole life and then to have it all of a sudden you know, it was the end. And uh, so I kind of went through this very dark time at that age and didn't really, that was my purpose, you know, for getting up every day. And now it's not there. And so 
And I also, you know, kind of was a little socially awkward in school because I was never at school except during, you know, the time that was required. Mm -hmm. And then I was at the ice skating rink. So now all of a sudden I was in school and, you know, kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do. And my parents were going through a divorce and everything was just kind of crumbling. And so when I, by the time I got to high school, I was just like, forget it, you know, like nobody cares. I lost the one thing I love the most, which was ice skating. And so I just kind of partied and barely went to school. I barely graduated high school. And not that that's bragging rights, but, you know, I just didn't have the focus or the parental guidance. And so I just kind of let my grades slip. And I remember my senior year just begging my teachers to pass me <laughs> with a D just so I could graduate, you know. And so that was my story there. But yeah, yeah so, but you know, the thing that was the, the thing that I'm blessed with with the skating is that it, it really saved my life as far as setting me up with structure and discipline and being able to take direction from a coach and, and being willing and open to trust that somebody else knows what they're talking about. And so I always had that willingness to learn and to grow and kind of lost it in high school. And later on in life, it would come back around and I'd be like, okay, I remember this, like I am coachable. And so, yeah, so that was that. And, and then, you know, I ended up in Hollywood, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, it is very interesting, but I tell uh, now, I mean, I have a lot of uh, teenagers come to our office and work. And I tell them what I find always is uh, troubling is that first, uh, you know, it's not unusual that at that age not to know what to do. And because there are so many roads to follow. And uh, unless you have a very strong uh, you know, direction, which is, uh, which can be possible or you can be lost. So a lot of uh, teenagers nowadays, I find that they, they can't find, seem to find a purpose uh, for their life yet. And uh, it's nothing wrong, but it's just, uh, you know, there's sometimes uh, I, they are, they keep on partying all night and then next day uh, so uh, one thing i see uh, from your story for sure is that you were getting up on time or at least had some kind of structure because you were figure skating or i mean you had a routine right yeah i had a routine and uh that routine kind of came to an end like i said right before high school and so in high school i kind of had this Oh, well, attitude, because nobody really seemed to care that the one thing I loved doing, I wasn't doing anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and I had no structure. And so I had to kind of create my own structure and my own, my I had to discipline myself at this point, I had no coach, no mentor, all those things that I kind of grew up with were gone. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't do so well in high school, because I didn't think that anybody was listening or anybody cared. Mm. And so, but then it's funny, you know, when I graduated high school, my senior year, I was cheerleader and was part of the homecoming court and was did student council. I did all these things with really bad grades, which is so crazy that they let me get away with this stuff. But when I, when I went to, uh, 
tryout for cheerleading at the junior college I was going to go to. I made it. I made the squad. But when she saw my grades from high school, she brought me into her office and she's like, you can't be on the squad with these grades. Mm. And I said, well, why don't you put me on probation? Mm. And she's like, what? And I'm like, wow. put me on probation. If I don't get good grades by first semester, you can kick me off. She's like, yeah, I don't think so because, you know, it's disruptive to the rest of the squad. And I said, I'm going to get good grades. You know, and all of a sudden now I had purpose. You know, it was like I found something that I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And she was challenging me. And so she said, okay, I'm going to check your grades first quarter. And if they're not up to par, you can't, you can't stay on the squad. And I agreed. And I got on the dean's list wow. because, I, because I applied myself. You know, it wasn't because I wasn't smart. I just never applied myself. When I got to high school, I stopped applying myself and kind of checked out for a while. You know, like with what's the point attitude. And I had a, had a really bad attitude in high school. And so when I got to college, that turned around because now I had, you know, I really wanted to be on the squad and I really wanted people to take me seriously. Now I'm in my first year of college. And, and you know, it's interesting when I look back at that time in my life with no guidance and no structure to have one person say, you know, you can't do this unless you do this made me rethink what, where I was going and what I was doing. And it never occurred to me that I maybe wanted to go to college. Nobody ever asked me. And I, that's why I ended up at a junior college. And I didn't know if I was going to stay in school or transfer to another college. But what I did know is that now I needed to kind of take things a little more seriously. I'd kind of messed around for four years in high school, even though I worked really hard because I worked full time while I went to high school because there was no money. So I had to work. You know, I bought my first car and and bought the clothes I wore to school and did all that. So, you know, there was no, oh, it's your 16th birthday. Here's your car. I I had to do that, you know, if I wanted that. So so yeah, so it was like really started building my my myself up again in college. And then the USFL had uh, cheerleading tryouts for the LA Express. And I went to Hollywood and tried, whoops, I think we're having technical difficulties. Are we okay? Uh, uh, yeah, we are good, we are good. Okay, yes, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, so I went to Hollywood and tried out for this professional cheerleading squad and I made the squad. And that event changed the course of my life because from that I ended up going into commercials and modeling and going down that path. Okay, very nice, very nice. Um, so uh, tell me, uh, how was, uh, how was uh, your uh, experience with being selected? I know once you got Hollywood, then did they, how did the Playboy uh, Playmate thing in? So for me, it was really um, an out of out of the left field, you know, experience because I did not pursue Playboy and I did not really know too much about the company. I I had an agent at this point and she called me one day and said Playboy's having an audition for their new publication called the lingerie book and they're interested in you for the cover 
And I said, oh, okay, that's great. Is there nudity? And she's like, no, I don't think so. It's for the cover. So I went to the famous Playboy building on Sunset. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to take everything off and put a robe on to go in the studio and do a Polaroid. And I remember thinking, no, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the cover audition. And they said, well, everything we do has nudity. We need to see your body. And that was legitimate because back then it was a different world. They were looking for tattoos, scars, piercings, birthmarks, any, you know, cause they would have to cover that up or see if they could work with it. Now, now in this day and age, they don't care about any of that, mm. but it was a different time. And so I left my undergarments on and I came out to do this Polaroid and he's like, well, we need to see everything. And I said, I'm not here for that. <laughs> So already I'm difficult, you know? And so so I did the Polaroid and I left with my undergarments. And within two hours, I got a call saying they want to test you to be a centerfold. Wow. And I was like, what? Me? No, that can't be right. And I called my agent. She's like, yeah, it's true. They want you to come in and test to be a centerfold. So I did the I did the test. Next thing I knew, I was in a month of shooting for my my centerfold. It took about six weeks to shoot the whole thing. Wow. And then they flew me to Chicago to shoot the cover for the following month. And that's began a whole journey with Playboy. So the experience was very surreal and very, very like I just felt like I was in a dream. Somebody should pinch me and wake me up, you know, because like, how did I end up here? And I had a fabulous photographer, Richard Fegley, shot my layout. And I remember him and I just looking at each other. And and we also shared the same birthday, which was really sweet. And uh, one day I was had this blank look on my face. And he's like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. and I was just like, I'm in the Playboy building shooting to be a centerfold. He's like, I know, I know it's crazy. Right. I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, what, how did I get here? So, yeah. you know, it was, and, and, you know, it was, I didn't think of myself as playboy material, but, you know, looking back now, I get it. I was the girl next door. I was the funny approachable girl. And that's what, that's what Hef looked for. And he always looked at every photo he, everything that went in that magazine was approved by him personally, nobody else. How and was, uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but how was uh, meeting him, you know, as a person? Uh, we have heard great stories about him. Amazing, amazing. I was so excited to meet him. And I met him at a New Year's, at the New Year's Eve party right before my issue came out. So I wasn't even out yet. And I went to the New Year's Eve party and I was so nervous to meet him, but he was so kind. And he was, you know, com you know, I had this image in my head of what I thought he would be like, just like, hey, Deborah, you know, just this very gregarious. And he was actually very quiet, very shy. Hi, very nice to meet you, you know, a very low key, you know, demeanor. So welcoming, so nice. And, you know, just super interesting. His parties were everything that you would imagine and more you know he lived for that he loved having everybody at the mansion and he would just watch he was he was a great people watcher i'd always 
look over at him to see what he was doing. And he loved watching people. He loved watching the girls on the dance floor. You know, he loved watching people. He loved interacting with people. Wow. And so, and that was, I know, time and now what you're doing now. So there is a big change uh, for um, audience to know that you, uh, you had one huge career at that time. And when there was then again transition to this one. So tell, tell us this, Deborah, how did that came up? Yes, we'll take that hat off and put this hat on now. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You know, I never, I never thought, you know, I never worked a, a job in, a, in business or um, never thought of myself that way. I was in that world, in the entertainment world for so long mm -hmm. that when I got divorced in 2003, I had, it was, it kind of came to a time in my life where I was like, I, I need to work now to support my kids. And, you know, I had help from my, my ex-husband, but not enough to sustain the life that the kids and I were used to. And so I got my real estate license and started working in, in real estate. And what I did was, is I got my license, which first of all, super hard test. You know, I studied two weeks straight and took the test. I passed on my first go around. At this point in my life, we're living in Park City, Utah, small town, and loved it for raising my kids. Um, and so when I got my license, I decided that instead of me trying to start a whole real estate business, because that's kind of what real estate is, when, when you get your license, you kind of start your own business. So I sought out the number one realtor at the time at each of the different little places, you know, so at Jess Reed, I went and met with Rich Fine. We had breakfast and he and I hit it off because I told him, I said, I have no office experience. I don't know how to work a computer except to send an email. You know, I wouldn't know how to scan a document to save my life. And he's like, well, I can teach you all that. Are you good with people? And I was like, yes, I am. I'm really good with people. I said, I love that part of the job. And he said, well, guess what? I have 22 listings. And that is the hardest part for me is that I have to constantly deal with the clients and all that. I need somebody that can do that. By the end of our breakfast, we had worked out a deal and I was going to be his assistant. And we worked out a structure if I brought business in and how much I would get from his business, managing all his listings, et cetera. And we had such a great team. It was Rich, his brother, his dad, and myself. And I just felt part of the family right from the get-go. And, you know, we just, it was a great, we, everything synced. It worked really well until 2008. In 2008, the first market to go was the second home market. And my business was done. And I went from making this to this overnight, you know, I was making really good money. And then all of a sudden, there was nothing because... Nobody was buying a second home during 2008. And so right before the school year started, it was right September, I'd called my husband and I just said, hey, you got to take the kids because I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to figure out a job, work, where I'm going to live. And at this point, he was living in California and I was living in Park City. And so the kids went to go live with him. It was right, perfect timing, right before the school year. 
And it took me about a year, really, to figure out what I was going to do, where I was going to work, you know, and that was probably the hardest year of my entire life, losing my kids, no money. How did I go from being on the top of all the things I ever tried to do to having nothing, nothing left? And so I went to go live with my mom, put everything in storage, went to go live with my mother. And I was living with her in a 55 and over community in Ocala, Florida. And I did not want to get out of bed. You know, I was feeling very sorry for myself and thought, okay, now what? You know, what is my life going to be? My kids are now living with their dad. I don't know what I'm going to do with the second part of my life. And I took me probably about two weeks to come out of this fog of just how did I end up here? Self-pity. And my mom came in my room one day. And she's like, can you, could you walk the dog? Mm. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, can I walk the dog? So I walked the dog and that was kind of the thing where she lived is all the people would be walking their dogs and they all met up at this place called the meeting place. Mm -hmm. And so I got to know her neighbors. I got to know the names of their dogs and they were so excited to meet me and, oh my God, your mom must be so excited you're visiting. And I'm thinking, if you only knew, I'm sleeping on her couch, you know, I'm in my forties, I have no job, blah, 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 you know, in my head. And, uh, and every day I got up, walked the dog and go meet all my new friends at the meeting place at this 55 and over community. And they're like, how are you, Deb? And I'm like, you know what, I'm good. And slowly getting my momentum back. And what those people didn't know is they were saving my life. Yeah. You know, they really were because I had no purpose. And I just was too embarrassed to call anybody in my life because I felt so low that I had been at the top at so many things. And now I was just like, I didn't, I was too embarrassed to ask for help. But these people were saving my life because every day they wanted to know about me. They asked me, well, what do you do? Where are you from? You know, how long are you going to be here for? And I just, you know, I never told them my sob story. I just said, you know, I'm trying to find a new job. I was selling real estate and they understood. Oh, yeah, the market. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. all, all that was happening was I was out of my head and my self-loathing pity and taking an interest in what they were doing, listening to the fact that their kids never come and visit, listening to the fact that they have health issues. And, you know, the more I got out of myself and started listening to their stuff, I was like, you know, my life doesn't look so bad, <laughs> you know, yeah. because now I'm meeting, you know, and every day. And by the way, if I didn't show up with the dog, you know, maybe I was doing something and my mom, they'd ask my mom, where's your daughter? Yeah. They were concerned now. Where's your daughter? And she's like, oh, she's working on the computer today. She'll be here tomorrow. You know? And it just gave me this, just walking the dog gave me this little purpose. And these people were saving my life. I'd come home and tell my mom all the neighborhood 
dog gossip. Wow. You know, and we would laugh. We'd laugh about all the funny dogs and the dog stories and the little dramas and all these things that took me out of my head. Hey, Deborah, so sorry uh, to interrupt you. But yeah. Reaching to the end of <laughs> time. time <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. I know you are so amazing. You know, uh, so give us any final thoughts you have. Uh, sorry, we, uh, we, we that, no, that, this is a great place to end. Actually, the final thoughts are is that everything in life is a blessing, even the hardest, darkest times, mm -hmm. and you never know what's going to happen. And who knew that now in my business I would be successful? I had no idea. I went from all of this to losing it to now being in the top 5%. So you never know what's available. And when you start using your resources and you do ask for help, you'll be amazed at what's available. And and that is so a uh, great message here is that always make sure, uh, stay positive and, you know, mind is beautiful thing that it it has it's a magnet it can attract good things and bad but you have to stay positive always because the answer lies within us and that is so true and be blessed and stay healthy and what a story thank you for coming to our show thank, thank you. you thank you so much god bless everybody bye bye, -bye.